Good morning. It's good to be able to worship God together. A few things before we have our lesson this morning. Our campus and our professionals, what we call the CAP ministry. Hey, they really did a great job during the O week. So I just want to give them some credit for hitting the streets and hitting the university. And some of our church members went along as well. And basically they just shared about Jesus on university, which is a hard thing to do if you've ever tried it. So great job. Some of you might even be here as a result of that. So welcome. We're glad to have you here. And also Tyson and Chloe are just doing a great job, right? They're, they've been on staff for two months. This is their third month and they're really doing a fantastic job. So way to go leading the charge, Tyson and Chloe. And also on this side of the room, we have Clinton, our brother from Brisbane, but recently landed a contract here with counties playing rugby. So go ahead and stand up just so we can congratulate you, brother. That's awesome. So that means you'll be staying here for longer. That's always good news. And Friday night, the women, you know, we have something in our church where the men have been gathering called the BBB. It's the, the, I forgot what it stands for. <laughs> Beverages, barbecue, and Bible. So the women said, okay, we're not going to be outdone. We see your challenge. We'll have the GGG. Yeah. Girls, grapes, and God. And so Friday night, hey, I, I think they really responded well because they had 60 women come to that event. So that, that's really inspiring and convicting. And what I hear from that is, okay, I see you're 60. <laughs> And we'll raise you 70. No, no, but, but I really just want to say thank you so much to Nicole, who's hosted that, and Deanna, who's helped plan that. So just give them a, a, a round of clapping, because that's hard work, putting that together. And we have a couple visiting from our sister church in Sydney, I believe, and recently married. And when you think about spending a honeymoon somewhere, you obviously think about New Zealand. So we'd like to welcome Desmond and Sarah, if you guys could stand up. And <laughs> happy to have you here. And as you're here in Honeymoon, perhaps you could look for a job as well and see how all that turns out. No, don't, don't tell Sydney I said that. We also want to pray uh, just for a couple of our members who've had some loss recently. First of all, Sarah Brown, our sister, recently lost her father. Uh, he was 70 years old and had a heart attack a few days ago. So her and James flew home to be with the family and the funeral in America. And also recently, Peter, our, our brother in the, um, that is a teen worker, his sister was in a motorbike accident and she's in surgery at the moment, I believe. So as a church, uh, it's great to celebrate great things, but it's also great to, to bond together when there is tragedy and pray. So let's do that right now. Uh, Father, we, we do come before you specifically to lift up some of our members and the needs that have happened. And uh, it's, just, it's just tragic to lose a family member. And Father, we pray that you're with Sarah and James, first as they travel, and then second, just as they are home with family and experience all of, of the grief associated with, with losing a family member. And we really pray that you give them comfort, that you give them strength. 
And we ask that our prayers, even at this moment, give them just an extra sense of God is with them. And we pray that, you know, as these funerals bring family together, that it can also be an opportunity for them to to really share the gospel with some of their family members. We also pray for our, our brother Peter's sister who is in surgery, God, and I don't know the extent of everything, but God, we just really pray that you're with the doctors, that you're with the surgeons, you're, you're with the whole medical staff and team to give her the best care and the best recovery. And we really just pray for Peter as well to be a source of comfort to his sister and his family during this time. Help our prayers to give him strength, Father. And thank you that we can come to you with these requests. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, in, in literature, there's a theme. I studied literature at university, so I just know this much about it. And, but in, in literature, there's a theme of the quest. And you'll find that in many, many books that you read. For instance, in The Lord of the Rings, if you read that, there's the quest to take the ring into Mount Doom and destroy the ring. And I think that any of us have ever read or seen a movie that has this as a theme, it captivates us. Because we think, man, I wish I could be on a quest. I wish I had a purpose. And it resonates deep within inside of us because they, they have this purpose along the way. They face challenges. They overcome the challenges. And then eventually they triumph. And, and normally they, they realize something that this is what it's all about. And it resonates with us and it strikes chords. And if you think about it, our lives, the reason why we're attracted to that is our lives have that in us as well. We want something to live for. We want to experience challenges and overcome them. And we want to finally realize, oh, this is what it's all about. And many people spend their entire lives trying to figure out what's it all about. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? And that's the idea of the quest. And, and some just end up frustrated and never understand what we're here for. But the Bible offers us the ultimate quest. It offers the story. We learn some guidelines for finding our way in this idea of a quest. So this morning, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 28 and 29. And we're going to read two chapters of the Bible. And if you haven't been to church in a long time, one thing you'll hear this morning is two chapters of the Bible. And that'll be awesome for you. And we're going to talk about three points that come from these two chapters. So buckle up. We have a little bit of reading to do. And then as, you, as we read this together, keep in mind this idea of a quest. Specifically as we read about Jacob. And here's a, here's a man questing to find God and experience and encounter God. Let's read together, starting in Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possessions of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. The land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. 
Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And when he blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Don't get confused in all the names there. That's just saying he realized, I better listen to what my parents told me to do in the first place. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he would be horrified at the glamping today. (laughs) Wouldn't he? You know, this guy has a stone and says, I'm ready to camp. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with his top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And she's buying a stairway to heaven. Oh, that's where the song. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. That, that's all he really, he doesn't really take any possessions. He's just kind of there by himself. And all that he has, this stone, he says, well, here's what I got. So I'll give this to God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, it will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. And if you remember in the last few chapters, what happens at the well? Man and woman meet, man and woman get married. There's three occasions of that, so here we'll have one of those. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll away the stone from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return to the stone, to its place, over the mouth of the well. So Jacob comes and sees this scene with the sheep, the shepherds, and the well, and asks the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Jacob asked them, Is he well? No pun intended. Where they are. Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. <laughs> Listen to what he so the scene is there's all these shepherds and sheep there, and then comes this then comes this woman, and he's like, Hey, look, he said, the sun is still high, it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. What's he really saying? Here comes a beautiful woman. Why don't you guys take a hike? 
Because, <laughs> you know, I want to talk to this lady here at the well. While he was still talking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. It's kind of funny because earlier it says that all the shepherds go together and roll it away. So it's kind of a big task. So it's like... Hey guys, check this out. <laughs> hey Rachel, check this out. You know, he rolls away this stone and then starts to water the sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud when he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, her sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. Again, it's kind of like a random journey and he just happens to arrive at a well where his family lives. Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. Rachel, after Jacob, that's not supposed to be in there. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure that was beautiful. That's why he was so fired up to move that stone. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, no, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. That's kind of a great response, isn't it? <laughs> Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to give Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's love at first sight, isn't it? Man, I'll just wait seven years for this woman. Then Jacob said to Laban, after seven years, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. You're like, okay, calm down, Jacob. So Laban, and, and Laban doesn't answer at this point. Because the deal was, you get Rachel. But, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And you wonder, how could this happen? It's a big feast, lots of wine. Jacob drinks the wine. Late at night, doesn't really realize until morning, and there was Leah. And then he's all indignant. How have you deceived me? Really? Isn't he the master deceiver? You think there isn't consequences for your sin? They will come back on you. And that happens here. Laban replied, hey, sorry, mate. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before their older one. He could have told him that before. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So Jacob, this trickster, meets his match, you know. Man, this guy's pretty tricky. He outwitted me. After Jacob did so, he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. 
But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again and then gave birth to a son. And she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. And so in this passage, it really does focus on Jacob. And here, until the rest of Genesis, we'll see him as a central figure. We've seen him in his youth, where he's coming out of the womb and he's grabbing on to his brother's heel. We see him kind of later, where he's concocting plots to take his brother's birthright. Now he's going to exile. And for the rest of the story of Genesis, he'll, he'll become a major figure. He's the patriarch. But in this, in this passage, if you look at verse 20, he's going on a journey. Chapter 29, verse 1 is a journey. And so it really is his journey, his quest to find God. Up until this point, God has not specifically spoken to him. He spoke to his father and his grandfather, but not yet to Jacob. And in his family, he's got some trouble. He's messed up with his brother. His brother wants to kill him. So now he's fleeing. In the context of that, he's looking for a wife. And so he leaves home in pursuit of a wife and on the way finds God. So here is this story of quest. And we'll learn three things from this passage this morning. We need to be sensitive in our quest. Not just sensitive like you offended me, but sensitive to spiritual matters. We need to be confronted and we need to be fulfilled. Let's talk about being sensitive, especially to spiritual matters. And so in these two chapters, Jacob and Esau really provide a contrast. One is sensitive to God. The other isn't. And remember, if, if, if you're Jacob, you've recently deceived your brother, stolen his birthright, and now you're fleeing. Esau wants to kill him. And they say, Jacob, you need to go away and flee into exile. And while you're in exile, look for a wife. And so he does. And in this context, in, in the first few verses, 1 through 10, when Esau hears this, it says this. So he kind of understands, oh, my parents want Jacob to marry somebody from our family. And in this verse, it says, then he realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father. That's a very big statement because... At the very beginning, they said, don't marry Canaanite women. That's exactly what Esau does. And he lives like that until now. And he hears the command again. And then he, oh, my parents don't want me to marry. I see how displeasing it is. There's like a lack of sensitivity there. To not only his parents, but spiritual matters. And, and, and he hears, overhears this. Oh, now I get it. Really? You're so thick skulled. They were telling him this from the very beginning. His parents made it crystal clear to him. Yet he was not sensitive to it. It'd be kind of like we telling our kids. Hey kids, don't go to America to find a spouse. Not that we would ever say that. 
But in the event we did, and two of them listen, and one of, Lee, one of them deliberately goes to America, I'm going to find a spouse. Like, my goodness, how was how that not so clear? That's exactly what Esau is doing here. He deliberately goes and disobeys. And, and in contrast, you see Jacob. Now remember, he's on his way. He's in exile. This is what it looks like when you're in exile. You walk along like this. And he's walking on his way. And he gets tired. He wasn't planning to stop. He didn't order an Airbnb. He just finds a rock. He comes to this place. And he just starts to fall asleep. And then he has a wild spiritual encounter. And he wakes up, and what does he say? Holy moly, this is the place of God. I mean, he's sensitive to it. Wow, that was a cool dream, along with my way. Man, this must be God's place. This must be the gate of heaven. I just, I just had a wild experience. And he kind of has been brought up, but never has God spoken to him specifically. And in his quest... To find God, here we find, okay, I'm being sensitive. Something really cool happened. And I better stay in tune. Whereas Esau says, I heard the clear instructions and I didn't listen at all. And so in our quest, there needs to be a sensitivity to spiritual matters. At one time, radios looked like this in cars. You say, what is that? That's in museums now. But in 1991, when I bought my first car, a brown chevette that is what the radio looked like and, and so what those are those are actually buttons and when you push a button it moves to the radio dial you guys ever seen that teens you seen those so and then you, you turn the knob and, and so but before you can like nowadays you can hop in the car connect it to bluetooth crank up the music be on your way but for me when i got my license and i was 16 i would sort all this out in the beginning like let me push the button let me man you spend at least five minutes trying to find a radio station and then once you find the state, you pull out of the driveway and you lose the radio station. You, pull out, you, you, you twist the dial and push the button and you lock in. And then you, then you turn the music up and you roll the windows down like, yeah, I'm cool. But that's how it was back then. But you had to be, you had to be kind of sensitive. And, and I would, and this is no lie, I would pull over at times. Just so I could readjust. Ah, oh, man, it's, it, the, it's coming in. Let me just pull over to the side. Okay, and then it got to the point where I just put a boombox in the back seat. I can't mess with this thing anymore. You know, that's what, and that's a whole other story for a whole other time. But what happened is, you had to be really sensitive to hear the signal. Or, you can be content with static. And I was much, uh, let me be sensitive, let me pull over and figure this out. And, and in our quest spiritually, that, that's funny when it comes to radio stations, but when you lose sensitivity with your skin, you can get an injury. You get numb to pain. That's going to hurt you physically. When you lose sensitivity spiritually, there's major consequences. There's major consequences. And, and in your quest, whether you're trying to follow God, trying to find God, or you currently follow Jesus and claim to be His disciple, we both need sensitivity to what God is trying to communicate. You must be in tune with what God is trying to tell you. If you want success, you've got to be in tune with what God is trying to say. Random encounters with people. If you're trying to find God, and you randomly meet somebody, that says, hey, I want to tell you about God. Don't dismiss that. That's God. Man, be sensitive to that. 
God is trying to connect to you. He's trying to reach out to you. Or if you have conversations, if you're following Jesus currently right now, and you have conversations with your, your brothers and sisters, and you feel like everybody's kind of hinting at the same thing, but a little bit too afraid to be upfront about it. You've got to be sensitive to that and say, why are all these people trying to say the same thing? You've got to be sensitive to what God is trying to communicate, to your circumstances in life. If you feel like, I just got out of this circumstance, but now I'm right back in it. You've got to be sensitive. Perhaps God is trying to teach you something and wake you up. What prevents us from being sensitive? First of all, bad company. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad corrupt company corrupts good character. Your workmates, your schoolmates, your neighbors will dull your spiritual senses. The culture will dull our spiritual senses. Bad company. We got we, we to keep good company and not let, not let the world influence us, but we influence the world. What else dulls our senses? Not confessing sin. Hebrews chapter 3 says, sin hardens the heart. And when you keep it in, you get dull. If you find yourself dull, talk about what's going on in your life. What else dulls our senses? A searing conscience. This is a scary one. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 4 both talk about this. Hold on to a good conscience. Some have stopped and shipwrecked their faith. When you do stuff in your spiritual life or whether you're trying to follow God, that you know unquestionably is wrong and yet still do it, you're searing your conscience. <laughs> Not Siri. Siri thought I was talking to her. But that's what happens over and over and over. And then to the point where you've lost all sensitivity and you start spiraling into a world you don't want to be in. I think we have to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me this morning? And I think the next step is as a church. Because it's not just individual because God wants Israel to be sensitive too. I'm trying to teach the nation a lesson. What is God trying to teach us? What are the themes that are coming up? Because as a church, we must be sensitive on our quest as well. Amen? Amen? Secondly, we need to have some kind of confrontation. Every journey involves that. In our passage, Jacob has to really be confronted with who he is. But he's also confronted by God's grace. Imagine yourself, okay? Jacob is roughly 60 years old at this point. He leaves home. And what's he leaving behind? I deliberately deceived my dad with the Chewbacca outfit. Remember that? Tyson showed us it. My brother's hairy. He's probably looking like this. Let me put on a Chewbacca. Here's me. And, and he, that's on his brain. And then his brother comes in later in the story and says, Hey, I'm so hungry. Sell me your birthright. No, takes his blessing. So he's got... I mean, these, these, are, these are pivotal memories. And now he has to leave his home because he's kind of left a trail of wreckage behind. And in the far back of his mind, though, he's heard for sure Isaac talk about some kind of promises about the land and descendants. And somewhere in his mind, I'm sure he's heard Isaac talk about his grandfather Abraham and his promises and your grandfather. And they told us that we'd get this land and that we'd increase the number. So he's got, he's got all this stuff kind of twirling around in his head. I've really messed up, but, but somewhere along the way, my family's told me about these promises. And on the way, on his journey, he's going and, and he meets, while he's on his way, he has an encounter with God. 
And what God says to him, it may not appear at first glance to be confrontational, but think about this. With all this in your mind, you fall asleep, you have this dream, and God says to you, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, what, what can start to go through your head? What have I done to Isaac? Oh, I've definitely deceived him. And the God of that man is now confronting me and speaking to me personally. Now, you can cheat your brother, you can cheat your father, but here comes God saying, I'm the God of those people. I mean, this is, this is kind of... And then you'll see it with this vow. Okay, if, if, if you take care of me and you feed me and all this kind of stuff, then, I, then I'll be your God. And, and, and so... But he's confronted. Man, I've got to face who I am. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. And I've got to face that. But at the same time, look what God says in addition to him. I will give you, in verse 13, I will give you and your descendants this land. I know who you are. But I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. Look what he says in verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you. I know who you are, but I'll be with you and watch over you. Verse 15. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Look, I know you're messed up. I know you're a trickster. But I'm gracious and I want to confront you with this grace. I'll take care of you. I'll watch over you. I'll bless you. And what has Jacob done to receive this? Absolutely nothing. In fact, he's done the opposite. So here's this confrontation of man. I, I, I really see who I am. And why would God even think about blessing me? Why would he even consider this? And, and this becomes such a pivotal point because if you look through the Bible, Jacob, his name appears close to 400 times in the Bible. And often it's with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He becomes like this mantra where God refers to himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He becomes this dominant figure and he's totally messed up. Even further, he becomes the literal person that Israel is born from. All 12 tribes come from him. And he gets his name changed to Israel. Israel is named after him. Like all this stuff. And look how messed up he is. Man, he had to be confronted with who he was. But also he's like, man, this God is way too gracious. I can't follow him. If, if, you, follow, if you let me work it out, then, then I'll give you a tenth of everything. I don't deserve this. I love this character, Jacob, because he's very human. He does not have it all together. It's not like from a young age, he went through preteens and he memorized the entire Bible and then he went to the teen ministry and came out a teen worker, went to the university and went to the ministry and then led a church and became a missionary. Like, this guy is just jacked up. I mean, he's very human. That's all of us, isn't it? Man, I, can, I, I see this thing. Man, I would never choose this guy to, to be on staff. And yet God says, I'm choosing this guy to make an entire nation from. Man, there's this beautiful confrontation of confronted with who he is and God's grace. I mean, we see this often throughout the Bible. This is Paul. This is a real life footage of the Apostle Paul where he fell down. Looks like he has one big thumb on the top right hand. But he falls down. He's on the road to Damascus. And what does God do? Who 
have you been persecuted? Who are you, Lord? Oh, he, he's, he's shocked. He says, I am Jesus whom you have been persecuting. I want to confront you. Look at how ignorant you are. Look at how rebellious you are. Persecuting me. I want you to come on staff and go plant churches. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But I think in our quest, we have to have, we have to, you have to face who you are and you have to understand grace. And, and most of us, if we're honest, are really afraid to face who we really are. Yep. We put on the mask, we put on the suit, and we play the game. But yet, to, to, to have a genuine quest with God, drop the mask. You have to be confronted. You have to look in the mirror and say, this is who I really am. This is what I'm really like. And you have to be confronted and comforted by grace. There's no way God should take me. But He does. But He does. As an individual, we all are afraid uh, if people find out, they're not going to really like me. As a spouse, if I say this, my spouse is not going to like me. As a parent, if I don't do this, my kid, my kids are going to do whatever. But as a church, we also have to be like that. We have to be confronted with what we're really like at times. But we also have to be confronted by the fact that God is immeasurably graceful with us and wants us to keep the journey. Lastly, we have to be fulfilled on our quest to find God. Each character in this story seems like they're looking for something, but they don't get fulfilled by it. What is Esau looking for? In the first few verses of chapter 28, Esau thinks... Oh, I realize that I blew it. Now, now let me go and find a wife for my family because I want to please my parents. That's probably what's going to make me fulfilled. That's verses 1 through 10, chapter 28. For Jacob, love at first sight. Oh, he sees Rachel. Man, I'll work for seven years for that woman. That'll make me happy. Next morning, what is Leah? I mean, that's, I mean, he's been, he's been totally tricked. For Leah, it's having children. Man, the, the, the remainder of chapter 29 is quite sad, right? She has her first child. She says, now my husband will love me. And there's actually no comment whatsoever from the husband. She has another child. Now he'll, he'll really be attached to me because I'm bearing him children. Nothing. Another child. Now, now he'll really see it because that, that's what will fulfill me. And so my husband really loves me and sees that I'm bearing your children. Nothing. And then in verse 35, after that child is born, I'll praise God. I'll praise the Lord. So you see, all these characters are kind of searching for something, but that's, that's the key statement, verse, 30, verse 35. This time, I will praise the Lord. That's the only thing that will be genuinely fulfilling. I'm not going to misplace my desires and think this is going to make me happy. I'm going to place everything in the Lord. And I love the dream that Jacob has because it even connects to this idea as well. In chapter 28, there's this stairway that ascends to heaven and then angels are ascending and descending and you think, do they really need a stairway? No, that's not what you think. Can't they fly? Not really. Like, why do they even need a stairway there? But they're going up and down and there's this, you know, the angels are going up and the angels are coming down and, and what does that all mean? And, and at the top, God says, I am the Lord. And there's this, he's sending angels down and that's in the Bible where angels watch over people and then angels are going up with requests. And so there's this kind of interaction where the angels become the connection between God and humanity. 
And it becomes very vivid. It becomes very real in this dream. They're going both ways and, and God's sending people down, angels down to help and they're going back up and, and that's, what it, that's what's going on. It's the connecting point of divine and human in this passage. God's concerned with Jacob. I, I see you, I want to be with you. And, and I love what Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 51. Nathaniel has an interaction with Jesus and Jesus says, I saw you over there at the fig tree. He says, okay, I believe. He says, well, I'll tell you what. John 1, verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's referencing the dream Jacob had. But in this verse, John 1.51, they're ascending and descending on the Son of Man, not the stairway. So he takes this image, he says, I know you believe this, but check this out. Remember in the Old Testament when the angels were the connection point? Jesus is the connecting point now. Everything you want and desire is fulfilled in Him. And it's only through Him you'll have a fulfilling life. Jesus is the connecting point. And if you're very cool, you know who this is. Who's cool? Billie Eilish. Who doesn't know who she is? Yep, I figured Alberto and Olaf and Mark and... Yep, yep. Now, how old is she? She's 19 years old. That's Billie Eilish. And if you know her, you're hip. If you don't, you're older. She was the youngest solo artist to win Album of the Year, which is impressive. But she also ever won four categories at the Grammys. She won Best New Artist, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Pop Vocal Album. She cleaned up. She's 19. And her music was popular even before it hit the radio wave. She's on the SoundCloud thing, and millions of teenagers started following her, and they listened to it. And I don't even know what she's talking about. I've tried to listen to it. Not quite sure. Maybe you guys could help me out. I'm like, what is this? Let me change, let me change the knob on my, <laughs> on my car. And like, what? It's a bit weird to me. But, you know, but, but it resonated. It resonates with people. Because she has this message and she's been interviewed and I've read some of her interviews and basically she's saying, hey, life is hard. The adults are handing up a messed up world. We can't really find fulfillment. And that's the message the teenagers are saying, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like that. I feel anxious. I feel lonely. She has an interview where she talks about where the generation, whatever it is now, Z, Y, 2K, whatever. That's, that, that, that's the loneliest generation. That's what she says. And I'm trying to connect. She said, man, it's a generation screaming, we want fulfillment. And they're saying, yes, we're with you. Man, that should strike a chord in us because that, that's, that's what our world is saying. And we have it though. I mean, Jesus, in the Bible, it, it is the fulfillment of everything. He's the connecting point between divine and human. People looking for relationships. People look for careers. People look for success. People look for children, for better life. And we always have the good news and say, this is how you'll really be fulfilled. Yet often, we're too scared to share it to a generation that's actually crying for it. They're looking to be fulfilled. It's only through Jesus that I have like real relationships. Otherwise, I'd be an isolated hermit. And that's the same for you. And we have this, and we, we have the true fulfillment. And so we have to know that that's what people in Auckland need. That's what people in New Zealand need. That's what people in the world need. 
When a virus starts spreading fear and paranoia, we can start spreading faith and healing. Because that's what the world really wants. Fulfillment. And we have it in Jesus. To conclude this morning, everyone will be on a quest. And some will find God. Some will spend their life trying to find God, but never arriving. But to arrive at a proper destination with God, you and I and we must be sensitive to what He's trying to communicate to us. You and I and we have to confront who we really are. Even as you age as a disciple of Jesus, you still must be confronted with who you really are. And you also need to be comforted by the grace of God. And lastly, we all know that Jesus is the only genuine fulfillment. And we need to live like that, and we need to spread that message to Auckland, New Zealand, and through the world. Amen. Amen.